Welcome, everyone, to the Union Federation podcast, where we discuss both Star Trek and the Orville here on the Fandom Podcast Network. And I'm really excited because this week we are diving deep, of course, into Star Trek Picard Season 3. This is Episode 17 Seconds. So make sure you've seen the episode. So here is your spoiler warning. All right. Okay, let's just get right into it. First of all, got to start off by saying this. I'm hoping to give a very good show today. I'm a little nervous, but I've learned of late that one must access calm as much as fire. And so I've been saying, as we humans say, I'm working on myself. So let's get the rest of this awesome crew back in here. With me always is my co-founder of the Fandom Podcast Network, Mr. Kyle Wagner. What's up, buddy? I am doing well. I have brought you some chamomile tea for this week's episode. Sugar, please. <laughs> um, but Kevin... I've brought along somebody else with me, and that it might I might have killed us all. I'm just saying we're doing this. Do you want to be specific? Because there's two people in waiting that kind of want to know the answer to that question. Well, 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 well one I'm I, I I get more concerned about what she will do to other people, but the other one, um, if you, if I may introduce him, I he is the host, of course, of the wonderful Type Forty of Doctor Who podcast on the Fandom Podcast Network, and did some amazing things of his own on social media with. The space book, but yeah, I brought him on the bridge, and then I think it might kill us all. It's it's of course the wonderful Mr. Dan Hadley. Yeah, you've told me don't touch anything, don't sit in anything, don't do anything. Just just stand to <laughs> look at the view screen. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, we, we we might let you sit in the chair in the corner. It is extra spinny. Oh, if they were like that, that'll do. I'm, I'm like a kid, man. That'll, that'll keep me occupied for at least five minutes. <laughs> Dan, it is so good to have you on Union Federation talking Star Trek. You know, I. No, you are the host of our uh, Doctor Who podcast, Type 40, on the Fandom Podcast Network. And oh, yeah. you've been doing an excellent job doing that. We've done some other projects together. Uh, so it's good to have you, man. It was great to be here. I, yeah, it's uh, blowing the sort of cobwebs off a little bit. I haven't talked about Star Trek with, with you guys for quite a long time, come to think of it, if ever. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting stuck into it all. Well, all right. Well, we still have one of our regulars to join us here and like to welcome... The Oracle and Science Officer of the Union Federation Starfet, Star, Star, Starship, the lovely Haley. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well, although I may start melting. I've been away from the Great Link for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got you got to get in your little jar, basically. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty cool, I have to say. So it's it's over there. Uh, uh, Amy Nelson, our first officer and counselor, is uh, still coming off of her wonderful uh, Star Trek cruise trip. So she's uh, still probably she's probably having a Star Trek cruise hangover right now, I'm guessing. So uh, we'll, we'll get her on back soon. Uh, and uh, please also make sure you guys check out the BQN over there. Uh, this is Star Trek Picard, the final season. And like I said, spoiler alert, guys, we're going to get ready and get into the episode but first we got a little bit of news all right as i mentioned guys uh you've got some news and i don't know if i'm kind of surprised so i don't know Let, let's get right into it kyle you brought this to my attention first here and i wanted to start off by saying i got an article here from trek central Paramount Plus has announced that Star Trek Discovery is ending with its upcoming fifth season. Additionally, the fifth and final season has been pushed to early 2024. Therefore, it will debut later than expected. It's understood that filming is mostly completed on Discovery 5. However, according to Variety, 
Additional filming will occur in the upcoming months. Originally announced in November of 2015, the series debuted in 2017 on CBS All Access. Remember that, guys? <laughs> the uh -huh. former brand name of Paramount Plus. Uh, series star Sonequa Martin-Green shared some of her words about her time as Captain Michael Burnham. Additionally, series creatives Alex Kurtzman and Michelle Paradise have shared their thoughts on the end of Star Trek Discovery leading up to a final season. Paramount Plus will honor the show's groundbreaking storytelling over its last four seasons with a year-long celebrations and appearances at key events and market, uh, markets worldwide. So, guys, it feels like that they're going to uh, take their time on this and do additional reshoots. And, Kyle, you and I were kind of wondering what was going on here because why are they pushing it back to 2024 with all of the other shows kind of trying to squeeze in this year, I kind of feel they didn't have an empty spot for the beginning of 2024 since Picard's not coming back. And they want to celebrate this crew uh, with appearances and stuff. Uh, give me your take on this. I, I'm not surprised by this. I've had a feeling for a while that the fifth season could very well be the last season of Star Trek Discovery. It just felt like they were getting to that point within the storytelling. And you look at the length of seasons on streaming – Five seems to be about the magic number anymore. The other thing is, too, is just let's let's be honest. Discovery has been maybe the most divisive Star Trek show in a good while when it comes to the fan base. It seems to be a love it or hate it kind of relationship with it. I think the bigger surprise to me with all of this is the fact it isn't coming until 2024. That, that, that we I, And maybe it's because we were coming off of a such a run of basically Star Trek every day, every week for almost a year and now we're kind of have we are having gaps here so i'm i'm very curious about this i and i know there's some things going on, other things going on with paramount plus that i think are affecting star trek right now but it seems like it's time but it's still weird timing of when they're putting out the season Haley, what are your thoughts on this well as tom petty says the waiting is the hardest part <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I'm not surprised by this. Either. No, hold on. It's the way yay, yay, is the <laughs> well, hardest part. Uh, you know, I don't want to get in trouble. So that's why I didn't yeah. sing it. Um, <clears throat> but uh, kind of not surprised either. I think that uh, going in, I kind of had a feeling they probably wouldn't run for anything longer than five seasons. So and as Kevin was saying, or as Kyle was saying, you know, it is a divisive show. Some people love it and some people don't love it. And so I'm not surprised either. I think that they will get to this point in the storytelling where, like, with the end of TNG, we can just kind of picture that they're off and it's still there, but it's not being filmed. We're not going to see it, but they're still going to be off in the universe just doing whatever kind of stuff. Kind of like DS9, like they all left and their stories all continue. Like, you know, people just go on. It's just not going to be shown to us. So, right. Uh, now, I am part of the uh, the group that, you know, and, and I've been pretty critical on this show. I, I had high hopes for it when it started. And uh, I, I, it's just, it's, it's tried. Uh, I, what I find sad for me anyway is that it's got a great cast. And they're great fan. They're great ambassadors to the fans. They're great to each other. I just I'm not a fan of the direction that the show went. And there's been a few really good moments of character interaction and a few little few good moments of 
of, of tension and drama, but the overall arc, and we've talked about the, the season arcs that they've had and how some of them have just fallen flat. Dan, I, I assume you're probably in a similar boat as, as I am here um, because and, and I don't want to bash the show, but I did want to say that there is definitely, as Kyle alluded to, it's either you love it or hate it type of thing. Um, but it has not been the show that everyone has um, rallied around. Uh, your thoughts on the news of Star Trek Discovery and its final season? Well, you can't bash it. You're the genial host, so I will. <laughs> <laughs> Long past time this show was put out of its misery. How it got a fourth season is absolutely beyond me. It is a terrible show. It has been. It has been since they lost Brian Fuller. In my opinion, it's struggled ever since. They've they've had flourishes of inspiration, of creativity, and there have been moments, fleeting moments, when this show mattered. It's got some great talent on screen, but they've never really been given any material to do anything of, of any real note with anything anything worth watching. I would imagine that if you mopped up all the tears that have been shed on various <laughs> across the bridge and in the corridors of the discovery, mop that all up, rinsed it all out and sort of packaged it off. You could send it away somewhere and it would probably cure a, uh, a drought in a, a, some small nation somewhere with, where they, where they struggle, don't get enough water. I don't know. Uh, yes, this should never have got past series three. It is, it's been an absolutely shocking show. Uh, I'm happy on one hand, I'm trying to be pragmatic here and a bit more generous. The idea that they're going to spend a year uh, going out on a bit of a tour for the people who do enjoy it, because there, there, are, there are at least a dozen people out there who really enjoy this show. And, and if they can find them, <laughs> corral them, and, and uh, give, the, give it a good send-off for those people, I get that. Uh, for me, I don't listen to what they say. I've seen a couple of very florid quotes from uh, Mr. Kurtzman, Michelle Paradise, Anthony Equal, Martin Green. If uh, I don't know if they've written them themselves, who knows? In my view, forget about what they say. Watch what they do. This show, I think it's been cut short. I think it's a mercy killing. And any material they're about to film, they were probably all out of contract. They've gone and back to film the last episode or two and just get rid of this because they know what's working. They know this divided people. And in their heart of hearts, I think they know why. They, they're going to want to move past it as soon as possible. But the reason why in my view, they've held off is so they can say to everybody, oh, look, it lasted seven years, like, like Deep Space Nine, TNG and all this. It's, it's, all, it's all publicity. It's all to make it look a particular way. This show's been a massive creative failure. From what I understand, it's never grown an audience, never made any money for Paramount or CBS All Access. And uh, yeah, this will go down in history as one of the, one of the biggest not going to say it as one of the worst shows of the 21st century so far let alone the worst star trek show dan <laughs> yes whenever we podcast i want you to tell me how you really feel right? <laughs> <laughs> you echo what a lot of people are saying dan and uh i, I appreciate those it's past thoughts. a joke five five seasons is, is shocking i mean it, it really yeah. is amazing they've managed to squeeze this out yeah. I, to be honest, Kevin, I think it's because for a long time they didn't know what else to do, and it was that. Now they now they do know what else to do. They know through trial and error, I suppose. And I, I think well, you don't expect people to admit defeat, but yeah. You know, well, I think that when they return to the kind of episodic uh, storytelling with uh, uh, Star Trek: Strange New Worlds, that was kind of like a lot of people were happy to see that again in live action television. 
you know. And the first couple of seasons of Star Trek Picard uh, are also debatable on, you know, how that worked as well. Some people liked it. Some people didn't. Some people preferred one Some of the same the problems. Some of the same problems, yeah. Kevin. And the fact that they've had a revolving door of showrunners hasn't helped. Either, yeah. Didn't help either show. Yeah, definitely. That's, that could definitely lead to stuff when your leadership is always in question. So uh, hey, any other um, comments, Kevin? Kyle? Yeah. Um, I just think what's interesting here and how it's falling out with Picard ending and now we know Discovery is ending. I think they're really setting it up for Strange New Worlds to be the flagship show for st- for Star Trek after after this, and I really think you're going to see a lot of heavy push marketing and push on Strange New Worlds going. Well, it's kind of uh, with with these show with Picard ending and of course uh, Strange New Worlds ending. You, you pretty much uh, Discovery. have that. Discovery, your, not Strange don't tell me Strange uh, yeah, sorry, New Discovery. World is ending. Don't <laughs> yeah, do sorry. that to me. Discovery yeah. ending, Strange New World is definitely being put into the forefront of the star, the flagship show. So, yeah. All right, guys, we are discussing uh, Star Trek Picard here, of course, and we're going to go ahead and uh, let's get into our main topic discussion. All right. We are discussing Star Trek Season 3 of Picard, Episode 3, 17 Seconds. Haley, would you like to give us the Admiral's Log episode synopsis? Of course. The Shrike attacks the Titan, injuring Shaw, who transfers command to Riker. Beverly explains that she did not tell Picard about Jack to keep their son safe from assassination attempts on Picard. The Titan attempts to escape the nebula, but it is cornered by the Shrike using portal technology. Picard advises Riker to lure the Shrike into a trap, but Riker wants to flee and prioritize saving the crew. Jack and Seven deduce that Vatic is tracking a gas leak on the Titan and find an ensign sabotaging the ship. He is revealed to be a changeling and escapes their custody. Raffi and Worf capture a criminal that they believe is responsible for the attack. They discover that he is a changeling a part of a group that has been fighting the Federation since the end of the Dominion War and realize that the attack was just a distraction. Convinced by Picard's insistence that they fight back, Riker fires on the Shrike. Their weapons are redirected back at them with the portal and the Titan sustains heavy damage. Riker orders Picard off the bridge as they drift towards a gravitational anomaly in the nebula. Ooh, all right. Uh, Dan, I want to start with you here because first of all, uh, we haven't had you on the show yet. And second of all, I want to give you a two part question here. First of all, okay. you've been really excited. The show's kind of brought you back to Trek. You're getting the feels you've expressed that on social media. I want you to explain that and then give me your first reactions on this episode. Uh, uh well, yeah, it's a great sense of, uh, not just, not just relief, but, uh, in my view, I feel like I've been swept away by, by this show. I felt a similar elation about Strange New Worlds, but I was a lot more careful going into that show. I didn't watch each episode go out weekly. I was still, I was expecting it to come off the rails, to be truthful. So I was very tentative with Strange New Worlds. With this, there was something about the way it was marketed, the people involved, the uh, the fact that they seemed to have taken their time to make it as well. That just made me feel uh, confident that I could make that decision whether I was going to watch it or not, 
make make that commitment to stay the course no matter what, because I never like bailing on things. I very seldom bail on shows once I've decided to start watching them. And happily, thankfully, from the very, the minute the credits start, it's a completely different show to the, the show that existed before under exactly the same name. I, I think I've said this before, but for me, this isn't the third season of something, and it doesn't feel like the final season of something either. For me, so far, Star Trek Picard Season 3 has been proper event television, and I, I'm struggling to think when the last time I saw something that felt this essential, this alive, and this well-made within this genre. I think maybe the Man- Mandalorian Season 1, I, I don't know, but I th- I think it could probably be since before then. So I find this incredibly exciting, and particularly as it's got a veteran cast too. They haven't filled the, filled the screen with new, young, pretty people. These are uh, seasoned actors uh, in parts that we've we loved them in for 35 years, led by a creative with real vision and real talent, and they know the story that they're telling us. There's a lot of confidence there, and when, when that confidence transmits... I think we can be safe and assured that the next couple of months are going to be very, very exciting and that our time is going to be well rewarded. Nice. Well said. Uh, a lot of friend, a lot of people have coined this like season eight of Next Generation or the movie so. that we wish that we could have got. So what are your first reactions on this episode? 17 seconds. Again, uh <laughs> Look, this show seems to get better by the week. <laughs> and I say that, I think I've got to touch wood because <laughs> I want this, I want it to carry on. Uh, it's obviously, this is, we talked a moment ago about how Strange New Worlds has gone for the episode of the, the episode of the week, the different planet, whatever. This is more arc storytelling again, but this isn't some big cataclysmic nonsense like we get over on that other show, which I won't mention by name. This is a, this is really about, about the people, about the characters. And again, it's not just, it's very easy to reach for characters they know we like and that we know and that we love, particularly when they're played by the same actors. But the, the new characters that are in it are just as well written, beautifully cast, played brilliantly. And it, it, it just all feels... It all fe- it, it, to me, every single episode so far of these three has been better than the last one, incrementally. At some nice. It's been more, some of them have been more spectacular than others, and some of them have been more introspective than others. And I'm sure that will continue. But right now, the story is getting deeper, and I just feel it more, and I have to see what happens next. It's incredibly compelling. Nice. Haley, what about you? Your first reactions of this episode? Uh, if we gave my proper first reactions, it would be nothing but beep. Uh <laughs> Because I can't say the words. So we'd have to mark this explicit. And, I just and see Haley going, holy F, oh my F, S, yeah. S, R. Yeah, I was screaming at my TV. And so like, just, I, it was absolutely fantastic and moving and beautiful. And yes, lots of swearing at my TV because I, uh, Chloe came out and she's like, what is wrong? Are you okay? And I'm like, it's this. And I was like telling her stuff and she's like, chill out. <laughs> no, I cannot. Yeah. That's awesome. Kyle, what about you? First reactions to 17 seconds. Well, I think you should start calling me number one. <laughs> All right, number one. Number one. <laughs> <Have> yeah. <laughs> um, this was a phenomenal episode of Picard. There were so many great moments in, in this episode, and I really felt like we had some just powerful moments, some 
moments we're going to remember and talk about as part of this history of Star Trek, this chapter of Star Trek. And it's just, it's being so well executed and it's being so well acted. I mean, I, I think, I think when I think about these first three episodes, that's the thing, the acting has just been superb across the board. And I know Jonathan Frakes talked about it in the ready room, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but I, that is what the story, every episode ends. And I'm like, no, 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 not here. We need more. But <laughs> every week I'm looking forward to it, not only for the story, but to see these actors performing at this level is just so incredible to watch. Agreed. Absolutely. They're probably better actors than they've ever been at this point in their careers. I mean, you talk, talk about Jonathan Frakes. I, I, I don't think he's acted for a while, properly acted for a while. And I, I think I've forgotten how good he can be. Uh, yeah. Which is my, it's on me. That's not on him. That's on me. Uh, and I think this is the best I've ever seen him be in anything. And he's been great in some of those classic TNG. I hate, I hate calling TNG classic. <laughs> I just caught myself saying classic TNG. Oh, Legacy. Legacy. I'm old. Legacy it hurts, episodes. Doesn't it? <laughs> <Legacy>. <laughs> Thank you. Still sounds. I don't bold. know. I think that's worse than classic. Oh god. <laughs> Okay, so um, I just I wanted to now we, we've got some topics we're going to cover uh, that are that hit some really important parts of the plot of this episode, but there's some moments I did want to share, and uh, one of those is Worf gets a killer one in, for his in, introduction in this episode. He goes, "I am Worf, son of Moog, House of Martok, son of Sergei, House of Rosenko, Bane of the Duras family, Slayer of Gowron." Made some chamomile tea. Do you take sugar? <laughs> I don't know about you, but that was great, especially when you hear the music getting all intense and then it kind of cuts out when he says sugar and you see Raffi go. <laughs> yeah. uh, the other moment I like too is a small moment, but I think it's going to come into play later is the moment between Sydney LaForge and seven when she visits uh, her and says that, you know, I, I don't see you um, forgetting the word, but how she, the reason why she was confined to quarters that, you know, her father, Jordy would have seen why he, why she did that. And I think that was a nice little moment between those two. And I think that's going to come back around us. Uh, I don't know about you guys. When we first were introduced to Shaw, yes, he came across as a dick, but I'm liking this guy. There's just something about. I liked uh, him instantly. <laughs> oh my God. I love, I love how he goes. Anyone else want to throw some weird shit at me? <laughs> just, I've always wanted Captain to say something like that. I thought that was really, really funny. Uh, one of the more important scenes that, it, that I thought was really interesting because it's it's kind of speaking for us as fans is the scene with uh, Jack and Riker. And Jack goes to Riker. Can you please stop looking at me like that? Like I'm some outcome of some science experiment. And Riker says with a little smile on his face, because he's kind of smiling when Jack is pacing back and forth. And she says, sorry to tell you, kid, but you are. I've spent two decades in a spaceship watching you get cooked up before you were born. It was subtle at first, but that resemblance to your dad, <laughs> that was a great moment. Stand that, <laughs> that was fantastic. Because uh. we're all thinking it going, and then we find out later, uh, they hooked up more than once, but uh, I just, I just thought that was a great moment. Um, I want to get into the guest stars here, and uh, I want to specifically talk to you about this, Dan, because uh, this is your first time on the show, uh, obviously, and this is directed by Jonathan Frakes, uh, and we have uh, a wonderful cast here. We're starting to get to know the crew on the, the bridge a little bit. Of course, we know Ensign Sidney LaForge, played by Ashley Sharp Chestnut. 
Um, and uh, we've got, uh, of course, Michael Dorn returning. Uh, Seven, of course. Todd Stashwick is Captain Leon Shaw. And then, of course, as the villain, we've got Amanda Plummick as Vatic. I just want to get your thoughts on the cast of this episode. Sensational. You just mentioned, <laughs> you just mentioned uh, La Forge, Crash La Forge. Okay, what a delightful character. We've probably, her lines so far across all three episodes of probably three minutes on screen. Something We feel like we know her. She's incredibly relatable, very, very warm, beautifully cast. And every every scene that we see her in, we find out something more about her, whether it's about, about her being, uh, her doubts, or whether she's brave or not, her, where her loyalties lie, where those lines in the sand are for her. I don't know. She she just feels, I don't, it's not just, obviously, we love Geordie LaForge, the idea that if it, this is his daughter, we, we want her to be safe and well. That's that association too. But I'm feeling that way about all of the bridge crew. There's a, a bald Vulcan character in this too. Is she on the science station? I think so, and, yeah. And again, yeah. You can, I mean, I know that Vulcans aren't supposed to display these things, but you can see that it's a young, perhaps a younger character who's got, you can see doubt in the performance uh, and it, it just all feels just a lot more rounded. And I don't know. I think that has to be, I think they've obviously cast the parts well, which helps. But a lot of that has to be on, on the page. They must be very sure about the words that they're being given and put through it all by by proper directors who work with that. I mean, the fact that Frakes directed this, I don't think I'd taken that in because he is, oh. as I said before, he's so good in this. So to put in a performance like that and to direct it too, my God, some of these people, it's sickening how talented some people are. Yeah, definitely. And the actress is Stephanie uh, uh, Kozowski as Lieutenant Tavine. <coughs> uh, any other one, uh, Haley, any, any comments on the cast of this episode? No, um, the only thing that's been bothering me is, um, and I know we'll get to it, but the guy who is the ensign, but he's actually a changeling. Do you guys know where he's from? Because I, I recognize the actor, but I cannot place him. So do I. And I've tried sure. looking it up, but I'm like, uh, anyway, um, but I know I've seen him in something, but, you know, going back to the first episode when they go on the Titan and he kind of has this look, I was like, oh, shit's going to happen. It's going to be him. And it was. <laughs> but don't they straighten, doesn't Picard or Riker straighten his comm badge because it's slightly off in, in episode one. Mm -hmm. So you think, so you Picard clock does. him, you rec so you recognize him for later. You know, it's... Yeah. It's all part of yep. being told a story, isn't it? Kyle, uh, any thoughts on the cast this episode? Well, to help Haley out, the name of that actor is that guy because you see him <laughs> and you recognize him. <laughs> oh, good, good, great. <laughs> Thank you. There um, there's just, there's so many great things this episode. The, everything with Worf is fantastic. Um, Michael Dorn is killing it. I love the approach he's taking with Worf now. Um, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about the moment between Picard and Beverly too, which I think has been one of the most powerful moments of the season. And two, who do hear dominion and changeling gets me so excited because I still think there's so much untapped potential from the dominion and the dominion war and everything that came with it within the star Trek universe. I love the fact that we're getting back to that. And especially because, you know, Worf knows a thing or two about some changeling stuff now. <laughs> this is true. He knows some stuff. We'll touch on that. So uh, I'm excited. We're going to get into the first away mission here, guys. We've got uh, four topics that I want to touch on this because they're kind of important. So let's uh, let's head to our first away mission. All right, guys. So the first one that I want to discuss is Beverly 
hiding Jack from Picard and everyone else. Uh, we, when Picard learns Beverly got pregnant and willingly kept the truth from him, having a son together from him, she points out her reasons for refusing as her not wanting to live a life of constant danger, especially since Picard seems to have a target on his back every other week. But as Picard points out, dangerous or no, he was still willing to give it all up so he could be a father. And Beverly took that chance for him by refusing to tell him about Jack. So this is one of those things I want you guys to, to think about is when they were going back and forth, they both made their points uh, very, very well. It was tough to side with one or the other uh, sometimes. And, and then you kind of think about it, you're going, well, even if he, if he did, did give up uh, the life of being a Star Trek captain, he might still have a target on his back. So, you know, so anyway, I want to start with uh, you, Haley, your thoughts on the Beverly and Picard situation yeah so i think this uh this line from picard sums it up what could have been had i known what might have been what might i have been um is is really wonderful i loved this because i'm so glad that they addressed it it didn't take a long i didn't want it to be like a long part of an episode addressing this and so i really liked how they they put this into the story in this episode and it still leaves it for discussion, but for like an off-screen type of discussion between the two of them. Um, I can understand Dr. Crusher's fears, um, given everything and given their history and all of that. I mean, they've ended their romantic relationship five times, apparently, uh, which we kind of all knew, but whatever. Um, but I get it. But at the same time, like... Yeah, how how do you handle saying, okay, if I don't tell someone this, we don't know the outcome. We don't know what would have happened. And it could have been something wonderful and beautiful. It might not have been. But I get Captain Picard's side of saying, you took that for me. I didn't even get the choice. I didn't get an option. And it's really kind of sad. And now you can kind of see why Jack has a chip on his shoulder. I mean, she tells him, I told him who you are. He's known for, you know, whoever knows how long. And he decided not to reach out to you, even though I encouraged him to. And I think it's really beautiful. And I'm really excited to see how this is going to wrap up because, you know, by the end of the season, they are going to make this really beautiful. I don't think it's going to happen in the next episode. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, but I think by the end, there is going to be some moment that is going to happen and that chip on Jack's shoulder is going to fall off. Do I think that they will be a family unit together? Not necessarily, because again, we know that Picard is in a relationship <clears throat> already. And so, but I do think that there is going to be a really beautiful moment at the end. Dan, uh, I'm really glad that they explained the accent to Jack because I don't know if you know this or not. <laughs> he kind of sounds like you, but you've got that kind of uh, Birmingham twang. kind I've of got the twang. Uh, yeah, you've got the Birmingham edge, you know. But yeah. still, I'm glad they explained that. Your thoughts on the scene between those well, two? The, the Birmingham edge is actually a pub. Only a few miles. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Ed, Ed, yeah. I mean, Ed Spielers has been fantastic in this. He's, a, I remember him from Downton Abbey. Yeah, but even so, I mean, he's a revelation in this. As for this scene, uh, for me, uh, this is um, this is what traditionally Star Trek does better than certainly any other genre show that I can think of. 
always has, these kind of situations where it will explain to you, illustrate to you, or, or walk you through both sides to a story, to a dilemma, to, to a moral situation, and uh, lead you in one direction and then another. And then by the end of it, uh, more often than not, leave you to make up your own mind up, make your own mind up and to debate that which has been on screen. I mean, usually it tends to be around the fate of uh, civilizations or something like that, or or the crew of a ship or something of that nature, something to do with adventure. But in this instance, it's something deeply intimate concerning two characters, well, three now, that we deeply care about and, and know and, and, uh, and want the best for. And so it's difficult to watch in some respects and to, to listen to, to patiently listen to. And uh, I was hanging on every word. Uh, again, down to Gates McFadden, Patrick Stewart, and the writers, and there's two writers on this episode, uh, which I'm just, uh, just very grateful for, the material of this high quality. Because I have been, I watched this episode last night, and I was thinking about it for a good while after I watched it. Uh, I, I doubt I'm alone in having been in, in situations uh, similar to this, where decisions of enormous significance about uh, matters just as big as this have been made for me by another person. So it's um, it rattled a few skeletons in my closets, I suppose you could say. Uh, and yeah. so that, that affects you on another level too. But then it, it's very difficult, as you said, Kevin, to, to vilify Beverly when a lot of what she says, you know, it's demonstrably true. So it's yeah. just, it's fascinating, fascinating, great writing and fantastic acting as has been the case throughout. Uh, Kyle, we have seen this relationship um, <laughs> same through the eyes as as Riker mentions in in the episode against Jack. We're like, come on, just do it already, you know, <laughs> just make it happen. And you know, we find out. Oh, I always thought ways. they did. Just, yeah, but they never talked about it. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's another way to look at it. That is definitely, especially. We don't know how long those morning teas would go for. So, but Kyle, what you <laughs> want to get your thoughts on this scene uh, between the two? It, 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 they both had they both had big points. They both had very legitimate points. I, I think this comes down to a question, though. Of I understand why she Beverly wants to protect Jack, and she has questions about whether Picard would actually give up his lifestyle at that time, of where the stars always call him. However, on the flip side, is we're talking about. Jean-Luc Picard. He's going to be a good father. He might not. He's going to. He's a man who would put that as a priority. So I think that what where Beverly is wrong is not even giving Picard a chance to make a decision. And I well, again, while I understand her motherly instinct, think about what all that Beverly Crusher has lost. She lost her husband. She lost Wesley. And now she has this. And with all she's been through, she's going to do everything she can to protect and hold on to this, even if it means hurting a man that she loves. And I know, and that she knows he loves her, but I think they're the kind of relationship where it's like, they have this love for each other, but it's just never going to quite work right. And Kyle, for, do for you a think, variety of reasons. Do you think that Beverly's probably got a lot of unresolved psychological issues that she's oh, yeah. away from having got sorted? I, th I think, I think that's a lot of it. I think, I think too we we it's a lot of only losses, I, yeah I think we've only tipped the hit the tip of the iceberg of how Beverly Crusher has changed since the end of Next Generation and the and the films I think there's a lot more we're going to see from her 
I think there's more interesting things than Jack. I, I We're going to have a really good moment with the three of them before the season is out. But don't expect the feel-good, happy family no. endings when the season is over. Yes, Dr. You Crush know, has always been a still water, hasn't she? And so much of it. Yeah. And, but uh, a lot of what, looking back at the best, the standout performances from Gates McFadden throughout TNG, the, the there was a lot going on under the surface. The still waters run deep kind of thing. You know, it's, it's true. She's that kind of actress. The other thing too, the, the one thing, the question I had out of this scene was when she said that she told Jack how to find Picard, but yet you're still feeling that Jack is holding some dark resentment towards Jean-Luc. And where did that come from? What would, was there something there that Beverly was teaching or was there something that Beverly could have done saying, no, he's a good man. He's just dangerous to be around, you know? So I'm kind of wondering where that happened and, and what we might find out why Jack feels the way, the way that he, uh, Haley. I, I have a thought on that uh, because Jack later when he's, you know, talking to Riker in the hall right there, he says that, you know, his mom would, start telling stories about her time on the enterprise and with all these people. And then she would stop where in those stories did she stop? If it's in a Mm. spot where negative things are happening and she kind of stops in the middle because she doesn't want to continue it because, you know, she didn't want to traumatize him and that kind of stuff. You can see how depending on the stories that she's saying and how often she would talk about it, that he would somehow think that those things didn't end up getting resolved like they should have. And maybe he put in his head, okay, this is how it should have happened. And this is how I would have handled it. And his mom just never really clarified. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next episodes. If something comes to fruition and to the surface here. So that's, this is, this is why I'm loving the show for all the reasons that you guys are. There's all these little moments to hang on. Like, are they going to talk about that now? Oh, wait a minute. No, they got to deal with the bigger problem, you know, but I did want to touch on the next topic here, guys. This one's uh, this one was a lot of fun to revisit here. Uh, this is, of course, the Picard and Riker, their friendship. They have some new tension now between them in this episode. Uh, also, I love the quote where Picard, uh, Riker and Picard are on the bridge, and this is after Picard uh, fires a torpedo, and it works. It, it pushes the Shrike away, and then Riker says, thank you, Jean-Luc. Picard says, well, it's time you call me number one, and then Will has that little, uh, little smile there. Uh, but when Picard and Riker start arguing about how to handle the Shrike, Riker um, argues that they need to get the hell out of there because he has 500 lives he's responsible for. Uh, And so there's a lot of tension there. And at the end of the episode, uh, Riker orders Picard off the bridge at the end of the episode. Regarding the tension, I do want to tease a little bit about what is mentioned in the interview in uh, this week's episode of The Ready Room. Well, Will is interviewing Jonathan Frakes, and Frakes says... Uh, Roddenberry's vision was that he didn't like conflict and we're assuming that he met among the crew and both of them shook or uh, nodded their heads saying, yes, that's true. And, but apparently that didn't always sit well with the cast uh, and crew. The actors were told conflict is the essence of drama. Um, And then he goes on to say, so, and I thought I like the scene uh, when he's being interviewed because then uh, Frakes looks up knowing that's where uh, uh, Gene is and says, so I think, sorry, Gene, we're more interesting if we have conflict and differences of opinion. Uh, and so I think he's kind of right when it comes to this, guys. And I wanted to get your thoughts on, first of all, 
we get him just having fun, drinking some drinks. Then we get the call in from Troy, which was hilarious. But uh, Haley, I'm going to go to you on this one here. Uh, the uh, the Riker and P- the Riker and Picard uh, friendship. Yeah, you know it's interesting. Uh, Captain Picard, <laughs> Captain Riker is kind of an ass. Man, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting. Like we've never really gotten to see him as captain. Uh, you know, we've seen him take over and stuff like that in TNG, but never really truly be captain of the ship where he's you know completely fully responsible. And so it was fun to see that dynamic between the two of them where. You know, Riker was the captain and Picard's just there. And and what would take place? And it's easy to speculate that they just listen to each other and bounce ideas, but it was complete opposite. And that was really, really interesting to see. And um, I think even with all of that and even him saying, you need to get off this bridge, basically get out like you're pissing me off. Their friendship will still continue to stand the test of time, no matter what they go through together, because they share such mutual respect for each other. And in, you know, the interview, you know, they, Will and and Riker were talking about how, you know, they are kind of like brothers and one's the older brother sometimes and one's not, you know, and that goes back and forth. And I think that really is the case that, um, their relationship is a brother, you know, is a brotherhood and they will continue to be friends no matter how rude they are to each other at times and things like that. And I really, I love all this. I love seeing them on screen together. I've met um, them both and I've had interactions with the cast and their friendship really comes through and in, in getting to have interactions with all most of the actors from TNG, actually all of them now, um, it's wonderful to see them on screen in these episodes because they talk about, you know, in the ready room, their friendship that they've had since filming TNG. And it really comes through, even though it's probably not intentional, it really does shine for people who have been able to have interactions with them. And it just makes these scenes so much more when they are having an argument, when they aren't getting along, because, you know, deep in their hearts, they really do. And off screen, they're just being ridiculous. So good point. Kyle, your thoughts. They have such a unique relationship because they are what one is one, the other's peer, but they are like brothers, but they are also kind of you've got the big brother, little brother dynamic, but there's such mutual respect. But what I think you're seeing in this particular episode and in these moments is that, you know, you're seeing a Riker that has done it now without Picard. And you're also seeing a Riker who has lost a child and is dealing with the fear of that loss, with his, his intention to protect the crew. And I think you're seeing a Riker who's in conflict with himself throughout this episode. And when you... And again, because he had been, has been a captain himself now for so long, it's hard to fall back into saying, oh, I'm answering to this other person. Yes, you have the mutual respect. And then when you have a moment where you put your trust in that person and it backfires and you kind of went against the instinct you're feeling at the time and you trust in this person and it backfires, it really causes havoc. And what that, that final line he says to Jean-Luc at this episode is an incredibly powerful and emotional moment and kind of a step back to even hear that from him and so i think you're what one of the things too that what you're seeing and i think it's something they're doing very well in this season is seeing 
the emotional depth of each character now. And you're seeing it with Ry- Riker as it plays out with Riker right now. We got a tease of this in season one, but now we're really seeing it. And there's obviously much more going on with in- inside of Riker than we know about. And I think it also ties into the fact he mentioned problems with Troy at the beginning beginning of the season and things like that. So th- there's conflict going on within Riker. And I think it's making very interesting. And just one other thing, nobody delivers the red alert line like Captain William Riker. <laughs> red alert! <laughs> this is true. Uh, Dan, I wanted to get your thoughts on this as well. Uh, what I find was interesting, though, that little line that Jack says to Riker say, when they're referring to Jean-Luc Picard, he's a synth, you know, but Riker shoves that away saying he's still the man he is. And I thought that was really cool. Uh, your thoughts on Riker and Picard? Watching these scenes, it's, it's not easy viewing, is it? No. Uh, you know, because we wanted to see these characters come back together and we've seen them be warm and cuddly together and be mischievous together and and adventure together, which ticks a lot of our boxes, doesn't it? But this is something that we probably didn't sign up for. It's things that we didn't think we wanted. And uh, I suspect that when the story's foretold, we'll look back on this and think, oh my God, that was good. It's, in, it's very powerful. It, I, find, I did find the... Uh, I did find the the conclusion that it reaches. You know, it's difficult to watch, but again, the acting is so good. The way that the way that Picard looks into himself, he has enough faith, respect, and and everything everything in between for Riker, but not just as a as a friend, but for, as a as a captain, as as a as an equal that he trusts his judgment. He, he and he knows he's. He's transgressed some boundaries. He knows what he's done and he accepts it. And it's, I don't think it, um, I don't think it harms Picard's character at all. In fact, I think it it deepens that too. Again, Patrick Shute's been playing this role for 35 years. I feel we're still finding out new things about him. There's there's so many levels to, to Picard in particular. Yeah. Well, well said, well said. I, uh, I've been enjoying this and I like the fact that there is conflict here. And I think it's important to write these into here because you can't go, you can't have relationships this long without having some type of difference. You know, the, the, uh, um, the challenge is, is overcoming them and trying to understand each other more and thus caring for each other more too. And, and sometimes, you know, friendships and families cut, sever ties and it's sad, but uh, I just can't see that happening with this crew. But it's nice to see that there is some tension there. All right, guys, let's get into topic number three here. And I think this is a very interesting thing. We, of course, get Worf and Raffi uh, together, finally. And uh, Worf, uh, um, we get the Changeling saboteurs, the after-Dominion war threats. Uh, we get that awesome uh, Raffi interrogation of the Changeling. And we find out there's a Changeling. And uh, Worf recaps the broad strokes of the Dominion War and the Changelings to Raffi, something that is more necessary for newer viewers who missed DS9 rather than Raffi and older viewers, especially given the tie-in to um, the literatures the literature's already confirming Raffi served during the war, albeit as part of the Romulan affairs. Uh, this was a really nice scene. I, I, I liked that they're kind of doing a thing together now. Uh, but uh, I want to get your guys' thoughts on this too. Uh, and Raffi really gets some good moments in this. Uh, Haley, I want to start with you. Well, first off, it it's 
sabotage. As, sabotage. Uh, <laughs> Correct <laughs> would say. <laughs> um, no, you know, I really liked this. I think this was like Raffi realizing who this was and just being like totally blown away by like, I'm with You're Warf. a legend. <laughs> Warf? What? Um, and it's really interesting, uh, this whole, okay, we're going to track this guy. We're going to find him. And at first I was like, oh, Rafi's recognizing like he's he's going through some withdrawals because his way he was acting was very similar. And then for Worf to click in and be like, oh, no, I know what this is. And recognize that this was a changeling and also uh i don't know if you guys caught it but man they really updated the uh changeling uh liquid form and it was gross (laughs) (laughs) it was gross i was like ew yeah no that's not pleasant um no i really like this i like that they've realized that there is something bigger and i'm really intrigued by that because I'm curious, like, does this have something to do with Picard and and Jack? Like, is that the thing that, like, this whole other thing was a distraction of? Like, I am totally, totally confused. I'm down for whatever it is. Um, and I'm really excited to see these two work together. Um, just remember, guys, beheadings are on Wednesdays. Um, <laughs> do your Klingon calisthenics, please. Um yeah, just just remember that. Always keep a phaser on full stun in case you run across any more changelings. That's all I'm gonna say. And uh, I have an idea, but we're talking about it next. So, all right, all right, uh, Dan, your thoughts on uh, on Raffi and Worf here? I had a vision. Everybody I had a vision. It wasn't like Jane's vision, but it was the nearest I'll ever get. In that, uh, I had a, I realized that once I saw that the these the original cast are all coming back. And that Michelle Heard, is it, was remaining in the cast as Rafi. I thought she's going to get on really well with Worf. And I had in my head, I imagined that at some point he would say, you know, you are a warrior or, or something like that. And we do get that in this. I, I, I'm i glad that she's still in the cast. I think this has redeemed the character quite a lot. I think she's, I've always liked this actress. I've seen her in lots of other things. And opposite Michael Dawn, Worf's never been my favourite TNG character. I got a bit warfed out. Uh, when he was on DS9 as well, because DS9 is my favourite Star Trek. I got a bit warfed out after a while, but I was so pleased to see him again. And to find the character this evolved, and but in a way that we're, we're not certain of by any stretch. We don't know where the boundaries of any of this are, this character. I would imagine it's going to unfold over the next six weeks or so. But yeah, it's, it's fascinating to watch, just as much of a joy as the rest of it, even though these characters haven't known each other for decades. They're getting to know one another. But it all feels so right. It's very, very charged. And uh, yeah, I I knew that it was all going to pull together somehow. Uh, kind of like you said, Hayley, I'm down for I'm down for wherever they're going to take us with this. I'm not the kind of bloke who sits there week by week, densely trying to work out, I'm going to act with this. I'm going to get to the conclusion of this before it's given to me. I'm going to work out where this all connects. I don't, particularly when I'm enjoying something. If I'm enjoying something to this degree, I'm happy to be walked through it. I'm happy to be fed it in a sense because it's all so enjoyable there's there's lots of other things to take in so yeah i just think it's i just think it's great and the changelings and the like you said kevin hearing hearing the dominion war again and the and the great link and all it makes you 
it makes you remember that Star Trek, Star Trek doesn't have to be connected all the time and you don't have to lean on the law, but it's been so long since a series did this effectively and uh, of any kind. I think probably since the movies come to think of it, it, it just feels great. It, it really does feel like Star Trek is back. It's taken a long time, but Star Trek is back. And and scenes like scenes like this and the way this is all playing out are the perfect examples of how to do it well, how to plot things well. You know, Kyle, uh, I want to get your thoughts on Worf and Raffi. And when uh, Dan was saying he was getting a little bit of Worf burnout during Deep, Deep Space Nine, and I remember there's a few moments because he was in a lot of them. But I remember us also saying during Star Trek Discovery we were getting Burnham burnout as well because we wanted to learn more about the rest of the cast. But tell me about your thoughts here on uh, on these two. Okay, um, Star Trek Ronan, who says no? <laughs> <laughs> So first of all, there's that. Um, the evolution of that Michael Dorn has given Worf just in what little we've seen already is absolutely spectacular. This is the perfect team up. Um, Jonathan Frakes mentions this on the Ready Room. He would love to see a spinoff show with these two. I, I, I am all for that. I think that would be uh, a great, even if it's just a one season, ten episodes run run of these two together. Just is classic. And what interesting difference between how Raffi reveres Worf and talks about how a legend compared to how Shaw treated Riker and Picard when they came on the Titan. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but no, and just like I said earlier, the fact that we are bringing in changelings, we're mentioning the Dominion, we're dealing with some of Worf's, Worf's past history being involved in this, and I love the fact uh, consider me an independent contractor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving I'm this de- image I'm leaving this uh. image up of the uh, the melted uh, changeling, because I love the faces that Haley's making right now. Well, the, the other <laughs> thing is, 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 I'm wondering, Haley, if this is so, uh, because he was away from the Great Link too long. And so we're seeing, <laughs> no. we're, seeing, we're seeing the illness affect itself. He's not as clean as like Odo would be. And, you know, no, because remember, even when Odo was like, um, starting to like flake and peel mm-hmm. when he finally was able to turn into their, you know, gelatinous whatever state, it really wasn't that gross. This is just because, again, and then as they talked about in the ready room, you know, with Worf's makeup, they weren't changing Worf, but it's no longer like this foamy headpiece that they had to put on because things have changed. They had to update the makeup because of the increased technology. And so really I owe it up to just, it is, there's better TVs. They have to make things look better um, because you couldn't slap in Odo's, you know, gooey phase into this show because it wouldn't look well anymore. You know, how many people are watching on like 4K? I mean, I don't, but like how many people have 4K TVs and the Blu-ray and everything else? And so like, you know, you really have to up your game in order to make things not look super weird. I mean, it's like going back and looking like, you know, people talk about like, oh, I don't watch like 60s television because, you know, you can tell the sets are cardboard and blah, 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 whatever, because you can see that it looks ridiculous now compared to everything else. And so even though, and, and thir- 90s were 30 years ago, it's fine. Um, Legacy years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they can't continue to use the same look. So I think it really is just that they had to update it. Gotcha. And it's just gross. <laughs> it's gross. All right, guys, I want to get into the next topic here. Uh, this is the Shrike Portal Weapon. 
and uh, this is interesting because we also get uh, the, and I got a picture up here of that Ensign Changeling. And after watching it again, I realized that when, because he just wanted to get eyes on where they were, they actually sent crew members to look out windows <laughs> to see where the Shrike was. And that one Ensign that was with that, was with someone else was this guy in the beginning of the episode. And he's like, mm -hmm. yeah, I, we don't see anything here. And then you find out later he's a, he's a changeling. But guys, uh, we got this pretty badass uh, ship here that has a portal weapon now. A Shrike portal weapon. What is its end game? I want your speculation. And this comes on a very important thing during that scene between Beverly and Picard, where Beverly's responding to Picard says, I don't think it has anything to do with him. She's referring to Jack. It has somehow something to do with you. That's no bounty hunter ship. That's a warship with Jean-Luc Picard sized enemies behind it. Bum, bum, bum. So guys, I want to get your thoughts on what you think the uh, end game is here. And I'm going to go right back to you, Haley, because you uh, alluded to something you wanted to say. Yeah. Uh, oh, so by the way, by the way, you're yeah. also the Oracle. So I'm really expecting <laughs> yes. you to step up your game here. Okay. 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 <laughs> I, I, I think I got something. I got something. Um, first off, when this first happened, I, yeah, expletives, expletives screaming at my television. Um, I just thought that was insane. And how cool of a weapon for somebody to have and use in a ship. You know, it's, it's kind of like, in the first other episode where they flung the ship at the Titan, you know, like using things in a different way. Um, super fantastic. Uh, really incredible. Well done. Well shot. I was not expecting that whatsoever. Uh, I will throw this out right now. It is not the Shrike's portal weapon. It is a copy because if we're saying that there are the uh, changelings and Dominion War potential and this whole Link stuff coming back in. How easy could they, they had technology and were able to do things that uh, Starfleet could not. In the episode where the portal was used on to take and destroy that town, it's not the Shrike's portal weapon. It is a mm -hmm. copy of the weapon that was stolen from Daystrom and how many more are out there. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, yes, that's why. Yes. We're getting Raffi and Worf on the job to try and yes. find out what's going on here. So that's, yeah. That's, that's um, and so, yeah, this was absolutely well done, spot on. This was incredible. Um, I am going to throw this out here. I think that this nebula is the nebula we saw in Strange New Worlds where Dr. Mumbanga's daughter goes out into it and becomes a part of it because they have said it has electrical and biological pulses. And I think that this nebula could potentially be that same nebula or one very similar, because remember, Strange New World is well before all of this. That nebula could still be out there. And how many other people have decided to join this nebula to live on forever? And somehow this nebula is going to save the Titan. I don't know if we should go on any further, guys, because I think uh, <laughs> Haley just, you know, did a walk off home run here. Good luck following her, Dan. Go for it. <laughs> I'm, gonna say, I'm glad somebody's been paying attention, Haley. <laughs> quite frankly, all that passed me by. But uh, yeah, uh, of course, yes, you're. Uh, uh, yes, you're right. I mean, 
Uh, the of course it's the same weapon. Of course, this I can't believe that. I think in my defence, I've been enjoying myself so much. <laughs> I'm terrible. It all just yeah, it just blinked blinked out of my memory. Of course, it's the same weapon, and uh, I've got no idea where it's going. I just think it's all spectacular to watch, and you get I get caught up in the human interest drama of it. So all of that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, well done, Haley. Uh, the, the 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 strange new world stuff just sort of blew my mind because obviously it's quite possible that that's true that that has gone somewhere. Uh, again, we we've seen things like that with the queue continuing. We saw uh, Wesley consider he seems to be able to just pop in and out of wherever he is too. So I wouldn't put it past them, and I'd be I'd be down for that too. I think this this everything they're doing on screen at the moment seems like a springboard for other things sort of under the surface to uh, some of these characters we'll see again, some of the situations we'll see again. The political angle, I've no doubt, won't be all tied up by the end of it. And so, yeah, I suppose anything's possible. Kyle, uh, the, the dialogue between Rafi and Worf realized that uh, the attack on Starfleet was just kind of the beginning, uh, maybe hiding something even bigger, more nefarious. Obviously, we're seeing it happen against the Titan here. Your thoughts on this uh, portal weapon in the endgame? What do you think? Well, first of all, for all of our listeners out there who play Portal, you'll understand this reference. There better be cake at the end of this season of Picard. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to laugh and pretend I know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> I'm having a clue. I'll, I'll, I'll own up. I don't know what you're talking about, but it sounds fun. I like cake. Who doesn't like cake? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. No, what I think, the fact that we've now added changelings and Dominions really changes the aspect of this portal weapon, because I think, obviously, I think the Dominion and the changelings are probably the master puppeteers here with this, and they are getting this, they're stealing this technology and giving it to people who would be enemies of the Federation. Now, obviously, the Shrike is a warship, and I think it's being used as a tool by the Dominion now, and... It, I think they found somebody who, for some reason, has a mat on at Picard, and they or is maybe is a is is kind of a um, mercenary type person, not so much a bounty hunter but mercenary. And they've sent her after Jack, knowing the connection between Jack and Picard, and Picard being the target, because I think getting at John Luke Picard affects Starfleet so much more across the board than any other person probably in Starfleet right now, as far as what it would do to morale, what it would do to just in general and the secrets that Picard has, especially being a synth now, I think it changes the game there. The other, the other aspect of this portal weapon that I find so interesting too, is obviously it's, uh, it's going to be a big part of the season. We've seen it now used in destruction of Starfleet property and now being used as a weapon against the Titan. I think the bigger the bigger question is is what else have they stole from Daystrom and what what's floating out there and could this be leading into how they in somehow bring mention of data into this show with Daystrom Institute um, and yeah. a few other things so we know there's some there's still some things in Daystrom floating around mm-hmm. that involve data so this might be how do they you, also find a way do to you think things with data do you think that Vedic is a changeling as well because she looks she's got the uh, sort of Odo look about her, doesn't she. Uh, she she does. I don't know if she's a changeling or not, but there's definitely something yeah. going on there. So, Well, guys, I'm going to call an audible. We're going to go right into the next away mission here and uh, going to get into a little bit of trivia and, of course, into the, uh, the ready room. So let's go ahead and head into the next away mission. Right around here somewhere. There we go. 
All right, guys, uh, we got some Star Trek trivia and Easter eggs. Now, before I read some of these here, as you see some Easter eggs there, Dan, stop laughing. It's funny. Come on. <laughs> um, I'm going to mention some, but I wanted you guys to think about if there's anything, any Easter eggs you mentioned, any callbacks to other episodes, stuff like that, or movies. Keep that in the back of your mind because I do have some trivia here for you. Uh, the music playing when Worf is practicing his combat moves is from the opera mm, uh, Le Train by Berlioz. Berlioz. Thank you, Berlioz. I knew I was, was going to put you there. <laughs> it's the same opera Picard is listening to in his ready room at the beginning of the film Star Trek First Contact. The line must be drawn here. Sorry, I had to say it. I was going to do it. Uh, Thomas Decker, Decker, the actor, makes his third appearance in the Star Trek franchise as Titus Rika. That's that uh, weird. That's the uh, um, the changeling they caught, uh, Raffi and Worf, and the one that turned into goo. He had previously appeared as a child actor in the film Star Trek Generations as Thomas Picard, as well Henry Burley in two episodes of Star Trek Voyager. So it's nice that they bring in these actors from other shows. Um, and I think it's in the voiceover. Worf refers to Odo when he said that a source of great honor from the Great Link approached him and warned him about the new threat. Be kind of interesting if we're going to see Odo, even though Rene Bourgeois isn't with us anymore, rest in peace, or uh, we're going to get more references of him because we kind of want to know if anyone would know what's going on. Obviously, he would. Uh, we have uh, here as well the um, Michael Dorn and Worf's makeup. As makeup artist James McKinnon discusses on the radio, and Worf's distinctive Klingon look has been preserved for continuity reasons. But given the advances in prosthetics and the advent of HD since uh, filming since Nemesis, the makeup's now much more sophisticated than it was during the early 24th century productions. And the iconic changeling shape-shifting effect from Deep Space Nine was previously updated for the changeling's cameo in Discovery, but it wasn't really shown in depth or detail. The Discovery redesign is carried over to Picard and has been further tweaked both to reflect the advancements in CGI since the 1990s and fit uh, the Picard design aesthetic. And also just to gross out Haley as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Uh, the Titan A and Shrike are in the exact same position that Kirk's Enterprise and Khan's Reliant were in 120 years earlier. Two ships engaging in a cat and mouse battle inside a dense nebula that renders their perspective sensor systems useless. And Riker and Picard's torpedo trick was first introduced in Voyager two-part episode Workforce, where the Doctor cited it as a Romulan tactic. Uh, do you guys have any, uh, you know, Easter eggs or any callbacks to any uh, other episodes or movies? And Mesa, Mesa. Yes, yes. What you got there, Dan? What you <laughs> that got? boy at the back. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm amazed you didn't you didn't uh, mention this one actually. At uh, the bar that Picard and Riker are, are uh, downing a few bevies in at the beginning. If you look across the bar, there's various sort of uh, flashing lights and things, but there's a neon sign as well with the name of the bar, and it's got like a pink sort of pink speckles all underneath and it's the same bar that dr mccoy's seen drinking in at the beginning of star trek 3 the search for spock same sign same bar i don't know unless it's a chain i don't know maybe it's like starbucks and there's lots of them but dude yeah, that's a good call out didn't didn't that one also have like some tribbles in it too if i remember correctly it did yeah yeah and the guy with the horns yeah, yeah the ugly wow. fellow with the horns yeah. that's really cool good call out there yeah uh kyle you got anything 
I, I can't top that. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Haley. Nope. nope. I got All nothing. Right. <laughs> All right, guys. Let's uh let's head into All right, guys. Uh, now, we know, Dan, you haven't had a chance to see it because apparently they don't allow people to see it in the UK for uh, Paramount. <laughs> they always do that. We don't, we don't even get the trailers. Their region on YouTube, they won't let us see the trailers. It's not, not viewable in our location. It, it well, says very sternly. Well, we're going to play this out for you here because it was a great episode. And, of course, Will does an awesome job. Uh, with his guest. And of course, this w- year, or this episode, we got Jonathan Frakes joins Will Wheaton uh, in the Raider Room to discuss Frakes' return as Captain Riker for Star Trek Picard's final season and directing this week's episode, 17 Seconds. Plus, we get an inside look at the season's hero ship, the USS Titan, celebrate a reunion with Klingon warrior Worf Michael Dorn, and much more. Uh, and I, I want to touch on the Titan real quick, guys, that, that segment. Because uh, they mentioned too that um, it's not the sh- the Titan ship from Lower Decks; it's a newer version, and it's great because uh, they talk about the original designers of it and, and the starships. Michael Akuda is in there, but the funniest moment though is when Jerry Ryan is in the interview. She says the seats are super spinny, and they show some takes in between of them in between uh, takes, and you see Jerry just like sliding or, or you know spinning around, and you see Frakes doing it as well. And um uh um what, what's his name? Uh the the captain, I'm forgetting is Shaw, right? Captain mm-hmm. Shaw the um he talks about how they feel like race car seats and stuff like that. So I thought that was really cool. Uh also too, the interview with uh uh Frakes, I love how when he gets to direct new people, and this was a moment that both he and Will uh <laughs> kind of bonded on, and this is the ship shake. <laughs> And that there's a one through 10 direction that he gives. And that when you hit seven or eight or higher, people got to start falling down. <laughs> I thought that was really, really funny that, you know, everyone does the, the left, shake and right. <laughs> you got to go left or right. But You're part of the out. secret club yeah. now. You know that secret handshake. Yeah. Oh. But when, you, when you get, when you get to seven or eight, you get people flying and falling. Fall down. <laughs> yep. So oh, I thought that great. was funny too. And, and then Frakes touched on Worf and called him a warrior monk, which I thought was really, really cool. Uh, and in the Worf segment, uh, it was great to see Michael Dorn being a, talk about being approached to come back. Terry Metalis calls Worf a samurai, uh, which I thought was neat. And, and that kind of, he got to, he took some feedback from Michael Dorn of how the direction that they could take him. And then they went with it and wrote it. Uh, and made some changes to the original concept um, that he's with Starfleet intelligence, he's freelance, and he's using his experience uh, from the Dominion War. And it was also a nice moment during that segment, too, with Michelle Hurd talking about the moments working with Michael Dorn and working with the famous Worf. And uh, um, so those were some really nice moments. Uh, Haley, your thoughts on uh, The Ready Room? Yeah, no, I love this one. <clears throat> it was great. Um, it's always nice to see when uh, Will gets to talk to Jonathan and and whatnot, because I think they just they have such a different dynamic than you know he has with uh, Beverly and and Picard. So um, I I just love it anyway. But um, I have one thing, and I'm kind of a little sad about it. I really wish Worf's hair wasn't so smooth. Like I loved in DS9 where his hair was longer, it was a little like crimped and he would tie it back. Like it just looked really cool. And now his hair's a little smoother and I'm kind of not a fan. 
Interesting. He might be using that new Klingon version of Perk Plus. Maybe, maybe that's what <laughs> maybe, he's using. Maybe. Kyle, <laughs> you hey, blood wash with blood blood wine. You'd be surprised at the results you get and extra shine. Yeah. Kyle, your well, thoughts. Your thoughts. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I just you know because anytime we saw like Martok, any of like the older ones, even if they had like graying hair, it still was like curly, and I kind of <laughs> like I didn't realize that I missed yeah. it. And then I'm like looking at him, and I'm like, I mean, I like it. I I dig it. But I wish the hair was still kind of a little crimped. I don't yeah. know. Uh, Kyle, your thoughts on the writer room? Uh, I love this episode. It's probably my, I thought the first season, the first episode for the season with um, Patrick Stewart and Gates McFadden was really good. But this just tops it. Any, like Kaylee said, anytime Will and um, Jonathan can get together as Will calls him Johnny, which just sounds weird, <laughs> but um, that was cool. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's magic because those two just have such a unique re- big brother, little brother kind of relationship that you feel. And Jonathan Frakes always has kind of seemed like he's always kind of tried to look out for Will Wheaton in a way. And I love the converse converse. There's two conversations I really loved in this episode. First, when they, when what he's talking about watching Amanda Plummer act on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, everybody was just transfixed when she was on. It was like appointment viewing for anybody who was on set that day. So, yeah. That tells you just how powerful her performance is. But there's another piece of the conversation I also thought was a very astute point by Will Wheaton. Everybody except, uh, I mean, except by John Franks, everybody except Will Wheaton and Le- possibly LeVar Burton, who might be turning it this year, is 70 or older. Really? From the original, mm-hmm. original uh, TNG cast. There, And he brought up the point. There is no way in the 90s that would be that kind of casting would be allowed to happen. And and then Will said, you know, uh, for Jonathan thought Will was still 49. No, it's Will, I'm 59. He says, oh, that makes the story even greater. But they have this discussion about the age of the cast and how he thinks it's also so reflective in their performances because they have 35 years experience as these characters. And it's and I, I think there's something to very much be said when we look at how outstanding the performances are on the season of Picard. I'm glad you brought that up, Kyle, yeah. because one one of the things I was thinking is because in the interview, um, Frakes uh, refers to and I, you can tell that this was filmed a little while ago. He's referring to where he just saw either the trailer or maybe the first episode of uh, the new Yellowstone spinoff. 1923. It's it's 1923 and he's referring to Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren. And I just finished watching that series and it was fantastic and how yes, back in the nineties and stuff like that, you might not see all of these, you know, legacy characters uh, putting on a show. They would have to squeeze in some young, hot, famous movie star to, to carry it, you know? And, and, and it made me think about, I'm like, there's a lot more, action heroes older now obviously harrison ford is leading the way but i kind of feel we got a little bit of uh liam neeson kind of resurging that a little bit with taken and then he started mm-hmm. doing t- all these taken movies and other movies that were like taken and then you get john wick you know with uh um you know keanu reeves who's uh pushing 60 himself he's in his 50s so it was a nice it was a nice call out to to noticing that that all of these actors um are of a certain legacy <laughs> uh, and they're just killing it. They're they're doing a, a great job. Uh, Haley, uh, I have a thought on that, and and this goes to uh, the last couple of times that uh, we've gone to Fanex. 
the the talent that they have been pulling in is catering to a very specific uh, generation. Like some younger kids get it, but they they know who their target audience is. And I think that's kind of the same thing with this. You know, these are actors that we all grew up watching. You know, like I remember watching Helen Mirren and Harrison Ford and, you know, and they were older when I was a kid. But, you know, there are people that we grew up watching and we're the ones who are, I mean, I'm not saying younger people aren't watching television, but I think there's this notion that we are still kind of the target audience. Like we're older, so we want to see different stories from these same actors that we grew up loving and watching. And I think that maybe could be part of why we still see Helen Marion and things like I loved her in red. Those two movies mm-hmm. were fantastic. Yes. I'm awesome. sorry, Helen Marion, like gunning people down. It's fantastic. Oh my God. I loved her in that. It was great. It was great. <laughs> you no, know, you're right. so, <laughs> um, I think there's this notion that, you know, we are still kind of a target audience for this uh, as we grew up with these people and watching them in films and TV and things. And we still want to continue to see them do things. Cause like Banex, seriously, like, I mean, they're getting people that, you know, I grew up, there's always some Backstreet Boys that are there and like, you know, there are people there and I'm like, oh my God, it's like me. Like the last time we went, I, you know, Jalil White was there, you know, (laughs) and I'm sorry, unless any kid watched that, like after the nineties, like their parents made them sit down and watch Family Matters, they're not going to know who the heck that was, you know, but I know who it is. And so it's, it's really interesting to see things catered to you know, our generations for stuff like this. And I love it. We're the That's ones awesome. who have the money. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Disposable income. Oh. Disposable income. Yes, definitely. Did uh, I do guys. that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, bef- <laughs> before, I, before I get your guys' final thoughts on this week's episode, I did want to go ahead, take us, uh, uh, take us out and uh, just look into the orb of prophecy here. So uh, we got uh, a little peek in the ready room, of a little teaser of the next episode. And uh, yeah, um, they pretty much kind of just show the beginning of the episode so they don't get too deep into it. And uh, it's it, it was a really good little teaser. Basically, the Titans effed, you know, they're barely hanging on there. But I did find one thing interesting was that this big flash of light, as you can see in this picture here, something's happening. Something is happening. Don't know what's going on, uh, but I thought it was good. Uh, and by the way, Jonathan Frakes returns uh, as uh, the director for this episode as well. And uh, I don't know if you guys want to uh, give your final thoughts on this uh, episode here of 17 Seconds, uh, but do you guys want to also maybe think what you might get in the next episode called No Win Scenario? Uh, Kyle, I'm going to start with you, buddy. Are we sure the Orb of Prophecy's name isn't Haley? I mean, since <laughs> <laughs> so we're changing names, um, just on the, this episode we just watched, Picard just gets better and better, in my opinion. I, I love what they're doing with the character development in this, and the just the intensity of what is going on in this nebula, and what is going on with Worf and Raffi, and these parallel stories that are going on. I, I have a feeling that as these stories continue, we're going to see how each one brings in other characters from TNG to, to eventually bring us all together at the end when you have everybody together, giving us the Star Trek shot that we will never have gotten from Star Wars, but that's a whole other thing. Um, 
But I think in this upcoming episode, I think hold on, hold on. Are you talking about the reunion of the of the of the cast? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well said. Um, I actually, when Haley mentioned about the nebula, I had having seen what was in the ready room with that uh, preview. I was like, you know, she's hitting it on the head, and I kind of had that thought in the back of my mind too, because I think this is flash of light that we see at the end when they're trying to make it look like. It, it's something's getting worse. I think it's actually something that could be to the benefit of the Titans. So we'll play out at this point. I'm not even going to try to otherwise guess what's going on in Picard. I just want to enjoy the ride as it is because it's an absolutely phenomenal ride. And like, it can't come fast enough every week. Good point. Uh, Dan, back at you here. Uh, your thoughts uh, on this last episode. Uh, are you with Kyle too? You don't want to speculate. You're just on for the ride. I'm never, I'm never one for speculation. <laughs> it depends on how much I know about something. Uh, with this, uh, yeah, I can't speculate. I mean, that cliffhanger, how it was left, uh, yeah, it's, it's, like I say, I only watched it last night, and it's, you know, what's going to happen next? So I do want to know, but I don't. The, the flash of light, obviously, that's new to me. I'm thinking, okay, could it be Q? But then again, we've just had Q. Could it be this? Could it be that? Could it, could it be some sort of anomaly, some sort of phenomena? Yeah, it's a little dull as well. Uh, I have absolutely no idea. I have complete faith in uh, Terry Metalis and everybody who else is working on this. And uh, so I'm, I'm certain they're not going to drop the ball anytime soon. I, I can't wait for till Friday night is when I watch this show. So I, I can't wait to see the next one. Kyle? Um, Kevin, just real quick for Dan's sake, um, because Dan is here. That flash of light is actually a blue police box appearing before the Titan. nice (laughs) Haley your thoughts final thoughts on this episode of 17 seconds yeah you know this was by the way just real quick I didn't want to I didn't directly ask you what you think is going to happen next because I know you're going to tell us and spoil everything so (laughs) just give us your thoughts on this episode (laughs) Uh, no I think I think this was a fantastic episode I really enjoyed it you know it's it's interesting like the first episode almost now is like a slow burn compared to these last two where it pulled you in and you were like okay I'm down for this ride you know it's like a you're on the on-ramp onto the freeway. So like you're getting there and then, you know, episode two is like, you're getting, you're on the freeway, but you know, you're not quite at the speed. And then this episode, it's like, okay, now we've hit full speed on the freeway and now we are just blasting down, down that road and uh, to get to our destination. And so it's going to be a fantastic journey. I'm super excited to see where this goes. Uh, I can't wait for LeVar to join on just because I'm team Jordy. So I'm really excited for when he gets to come in. Um, that will be exciting super ecstatic for me and um yeah i've i think i've already said it. i think this nebula is going to save them i think there's something in this nebula that is going to save the titan because obviously no one else is coming to their rescue no one knows they didn't get a signal off so no other ship can come in and save the day but i think somehow this nebula is going to do that damn Haley! now i really want that to happen <laughs> that would be really really cool All right, guys, uh, let's go ahead and let's get into some subspace signals and let's close things out here. All right, guys, this is the Union Federation podcast on the Fandom Podcast Network. 
Uh, we've joined up with BQN and our friends over there with a lot of great uh, Star Trek stuff going on. Make sure you check them out. And of course, uh, Amy, a host of a couple of these shows here, All Good Things and Galaxies Class. But we also got Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast here on the Fandom Podcast Network. Uh, Dan, tell us a little bit about uh, your show and where they can reach you. Well, we talk about all things in time and space, or space and time, in this exciting 60th anniversary year for Doctor Who. We're in the year of the 14th Doctor. It's not going to last too long. There's a 15th Doctor coming pretty quickly uh, along the way. So we're getting stuck into all of that speculating. God, we are speculating on that. (laughs) Speculating about what's to come in the anniversary specials and everything next year, and celebrating classic Doctor Who and new Doctor Who on every edition of that show. We've got some great guests some deep-ish, informed, kind of, now and again, funny reviews, and whatever else I can put together, whoever I can wrangle into the TARDIS. So go and find us at type40.podbean.com or on the Fandom Podcast Network Sensational Master Feed. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dan, and appreciate you coming on as well. Uh, First of all, uh, you can find the Fandom Podcast Network on YouTube. If you're watching this, thank you. If you're listening to this, go and watch it because we have some fun slides we've been showing. And uh, we're putting all of our shows on YouTube. And please share us out. We appreciate that. Our master feed for all of our audio podcasts are fpnet.podbean.com. And also, if you're a fan of Star Trek and the Orville, we have a wonderful Facebook group, uh, the uh, Union Federation, a Star Trek and Orville Uh, Facebook group. Make sure you check that out. Uh, Please give us some love on uh, whatever major podcast platforms you are. Uh, Give us some reviews. Uh, You can email us directly at unionfederation at gmail.com. My name is Kevin. I am on Twitter and Instagram at Spartan underscore Phoenix. Kyle, where can we find you? You can find me floating around the Twitterverse at AKyleW or on Instagram at AKyleFandom or just generally I'm pretty much everywhere on the Fandom Podcast Network. So awesome. Awesome. And uh, Haley, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D and I'm also in our Facebook group uh, lurking in the corner, but not the P corner. (laughs) (laughs) The the P corner thing is never, ever going to die. I think we just need to accept this fact. (laughs) Dan, you are watching the Orville, right? P corner. I am watching the Orville, right? Uh, It's not on, is it? Is it still on? It's on. It's on our Disney Plus. I don't know how you're watching it, but uh, oh. there's reference to a pea corner in season two. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh no, it must have must have passed me. But yeah, I did watch. I do say I really like the Orville. I don't know whether there's going to be any, any more of that, but yeah, I totally forgot that. No, no, no. Sorry. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, shout out to Amy. She'll be back here uh, discussing uh, Picard very soon. You can find her at Miss Amy Nelson on Twitter. And also please check out the BQN and they also have the BQN uh, Facebook group as well. And anyway, we want to thank everyone for joining us for this week's episode of Union Federation uh, discussing Star Trek Picard season three, episode three. Uh, thank you guys so much. And until next time, we will see you. Later, hailing frequencies are now closed.